jobs, consumer sentiment, and a mishmash of earnings. Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad you're here. In the next hour, we're going to cover a bunch. We're going to give you a great sample of what Annex Wealth Management does, but it's only a glimpse. The full story at AnnexWealth.com when you click the Get Started button. We're going to talk about estate planning rules. They're important, easy to mix up. We're going to sort through them for you. Ask Annex is on the way. Some grandparents want to fully fund some 529s, but Do they need to be the owner? How about mutual funds versus ETFs and then forever stocks? The stocks you just can't drop. Also, toward the end of the show, if you are the boss of you, tax strategies for the self-employed. That's all on the way. I'm Danny Clayton. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management, joins us. Hello. It's great to be here. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And way to work in that mishmash again. And of course, you know, we talk about a lot of things on the show. And we talked about this last week that the S&P had the seventh best month ever last month. And so it really was a really good month. And, and as we look forward, we had some good wage numbers and some good consumer confidence numbers as well. We did. And I think that's one of the things that the market was really anticipating. If you think about the sell-off that we had from the end of July until about the end of October, a lot of that was driven by the fears that the Fed had pushed things too far, maybe that we would have a hard landing, and that there really wasn't any sign that the Fed was going to be on pause. And all of a sudden, we fast forward to where we are now, the labor market showing signs of slowing but not breaking. Wages are still growing, but not too fast. And in fact, this past week, we got those University of Michigan consumer sentiment numbers that showed a slight uptick in consumer sentiment. So things are looking a little bit better from the equity market perspective. You know, there was one time that I brought in a sweater and Danny said, 1987 called and they wanted their (laughs) sweater back. But, you know, you think about a story looking backwards and it seems that inflation is such a 2021 and 2022 story. It really is. And that does seem to be the consensus right now. And it's always uncomfortable to be running with the consensus when it comes to economic projections and thinking about the markets. I think a lot of people like to be out of the consensus, but really I think the consensus might have it right here as far as inflation being a story more of the last couple of years. We've seen supply chains dramatically improve and demand destruction is taking place as a result of these higher rates, but it's not as though it's actually going demand destruction with a wrecking ball. That is exactly right. And of course, the Fed doesn't want to give up before the job is done. And we did see a good jobs report, which was very interesting. That's right. And uh, something to keep in mind, because next week we do have the Federal Open Market Committee meeting. Chair Powell will be at the podium. And we do have to wonder whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to see the decent jobs number as a reason to hold rates too high for too long. Or are they going to focus more on the fact that, you know what, inflation, it is improving. They don't need to destroy the labor market in order to beat the beast of inflation. Exactly right. And let's change gears now and talk about earnings. Some really interesting earnings came out, and my poor dog saw the stock report on Chewy and was not so happy. (laughs) I know. I actually absolutely love watching when companies like Chewy or PetSmart, when they release earnings, just because I've got three dogs. I love dogs. I know. you love dogs as well. But Chewy, their shares fell because they cut their sales guidance. A lot of this is during COVID, everybody got their COVID puppy. And as a result, 
you had to get all the food and all that. But apparently, pet adoptions are a headwind to the business. I just think this is such a fascinating story because we're very focused on the macro as far as what's going on with growth and inflation. This is something fairly micro, I think, specific to the company as far as, wow, pet adoption rates. That's something that's really relevant to their bottom line. And Dr. Jacobson's pantry probably has some Campbell's soup and J.M. Smucker in it as well. We got those reports as well. Absolutely. Those were great, uh, very good reports for them. They beat on the bottom line, top line. And I find this to be a fascinating story because they are benefiting from this consumer belt tightening that is somewhat taking place. If people are doing a trade down to lower cost items, they've been the beneficiary of that so far. And as you go through your portfolio, folks, you have to make sure that it's aligned of what the story is going forward, not looking backwards. The Fed is expected to lower rates through 2024. We'll see, and we're going to talk about that after the break. I just was doing the math. We've got eight dogs between the three of us, right? <laughs> that's, that's too many dogs. That's, that's many, many dogs. <laughs> Better than the woman with 80 cats. Fiduciary advice, comprehensive strategies, empowering education. That's what Annex Wealth Management does for its clients when we work on investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We're glad you're catching this show. We're on demand whenever you need us. We can review as a podcast at the top of the hour or in the Axiom newsletter. If you're not signed up for that, please do so. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, December 9th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. This show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour. Just want to kind of keep that in mind. Also, and I don't mention this a lot, but Annex Wealth Management manages many companies' 401ks. If that's you, if we manage your 401k, how about the full Annex Wealth Management experience? Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com, and click that Get Started button. Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist, is in the studio. Dave Spano, president and CEO. Well, you know the story. You've heard it often, Brian, about Wayne Gretzky used to go where the puck was going, not where it was. That's what made him such a great player. Everyone's heard that story. But you have to try to expect what's going to happen mm-hmm. next year. And the talk is, if you believe the dart plots, as I like to call them, <laughs> the dot plots, they're expecting maybe as much as 100 125 points decrease and by the FOMC next year. That's correct. And this upcoming week, we will get an update to, uh, I love that term, the DART plots, uh, because the summary of economic projections, it contains their wild guesses about what's going to happen with growth, inflation, and then how they think monetary policy should react. And they are projecting that they should cut rates. The market seems to be anticipating that they're going to cut them maybe as early as March or April and do a fairly deep decline decline in rates. Now, on our investment Let's define that, a deep decline, because people are paying attention. Those who maybe wanted to get a mortgage and are waiting for rates to come back down, let's put this in perspective. Well, that's a very good point, is that what the Federal Reserve does, as far as with monetary policy, a lot of other interest rates will move somewhat in tandem with them. Once the market starts anticipating that the Federal Reserve is going to start cutting their target for the federal funds rate, we should see some of those other rates that are actually relevant to to us, like mortgage rates, credit card debt rates, the rates that you have to pay as far as with an auto loan, those should also start coming down. We saw the 30-year fixed rate mortgage go up to or somewhat above 8%. And now it's closer to about just above 
percent. So it's already improved a little bit. And if the Fed, if they are actually able to cut rates by, let's say, get to their target of around two and a half percent, that could be a material reduction in those mortgage rates. We could see a five handle on mortgage rates by maybe 2025. Right. So, so not, not exactly 2024, but at least a downward progression throughout 2024 and 2025, if you believe the Fed. Now, the Fed has a bit of a credibility issue with the market. So we'll have to wait and see. And they're going to look backwards. They're going to look at facts and circumstances and look in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the problems that a lot of people have with the way the Federal Reserve is setting policy right now. If I look back at the history of the Federal Reserve, there are basically two major eras. You had the pre-1990 period where they were looking backwards, very reactive to the data. And you actually had monetary policy. It was kind of all over the place. Then they became more proactive based on their models as flawed as what they were. They tried to be a little bit smoother, more gradual with what they did. Are we going back to more that reactive period? Because Chair Powell, he's very distrustful of those models. Now, honestly, he should not trust the models, but he doesn't necessarily want the Fed to be like that squirrel stuck in the middle of the road as your car is approaching, zigzagging all over the place. And I think when he says that they're data dependent, it leads investors to be a little skittish about what are they actually going to do next. Every now and then that squirrel actually doesn't make it across the road. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, do you remember back in the day when Alan Greenspan used to go to these meetings, the depth of his bag and how much paper was in it, how much paper was sticking out was the indicator what the market should look at. Yeah, I actually love that era because I that's I believe when I started watching the financial news really in depth was to see you know how big is his uh, the briefing bag that he was bringing in starting in 1994. That was the first time that the Federal Reserve actually released a policy statement right after the meeting. Prior to 1994, people had to guess based on what was going on in the markets or based on the size of his briefcase, the color of his tie, the skip in his step as to maybe what they were going to do at those meetings. So yeah. things are a little bit more transparent now. And as you said before, it was a wild guess. <laughs> if you want to use your imagination, a WAG, a W-A-G. And Danny, that's the reason why you have to know what you own, why you own it, and how much you're paying for it. Investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. We can do it for you. Let's get you in shape for 2024 and beyond, right? Estate planning has a lot of moving pieces. Annex has an estate planning team that helps sort things out. We're going to talk about the roles in estate planning next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Army Navy Day. Dave, we've got a lot of vets on this staff. Most it. are Army. We've got one Marine. He's going for the Navy. We'll be right back on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Alec Durand is an estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Hello, welcome to the show. Hi. Estate planning can be complex, but it's got to be done correctly to avoid a ton of trouble, hurt feelings, potential deeper legal issues long after a loved one has passed. And we got to point out the loved one would never have wanted to have that kind of trouble. Oh, oh, absolutely. A fiduciary is somebody who operates in the best interest of a client, or in the case of an estate, the best interest of the estate and that person's wishes. But things can go sideways quickly. It isn't as simple as selecting his or her spouse, followed by his or her children. An estate might be too complex, or there are family dynamics that really need to be addressed. And this needs to be done prior to having the estate plan activated when somebody passes. Am I right there? You are. And the best practice there is to consider who you want to be responsible for making decisions in the event you're unable to do so or in the event that you pass away. And, and while it's not always 
easy to think in the long term, keeping an eye on potential conflicts and selecting a person capable of managing that is important. It's in the rearview mirror now, but did COVID change much about estate planning? I think that COVID put estate planning more at the forefront of people's minds and really got people thinking about who they want to be in charge of their estate and and maybe who should be in charge of making decisions for them in case they're not able to do so. But I don't know that it really changed the necessities of a solid estate plan. Let's go through the roles seen in estate planning. Let's talk about the FPOA. Is that the official name, the Financial Power of Attorney? Uh, that's the, the common name. The, uh, the name that you'll see in a lot of the documents sometimes is called the Durable Power of Attorney okay. or a DPOA. All the same thing. Financial Power of Attorney, Durable Power of Attorney. It all governs the same thing. And that's a document where a person nominates someone to make decisions for them if they're not able to do so for financial purposes. And not just finances. Really, it's anything regarding finances and contracts. And this is in place only when the person is alive. Correct. It's only effective for as long as a person is alive. And it it doesn't do anything to distribute your property or your assets. It's only nominating someone to make decisions for you if you're not able to do so. Healthcare power of attorney. Is there a new name for that? (laughs) No, that's the same thing. The healthcare power of attorney or HPOA. Very similar to the financial power of attorney. It's a document where you're nominating someone to make healthcare decisions for you if you're ever unable to do so for yourself. Same thing as that financial power of attorney. It's only effective so long as you're alive. It doesn't do anything to address passing assets on your death. I think the answer is it depends, but is sometimes the durable power of attorney and the healthcare power of attorney the same person? It absolutely can be, but that goes back to what we were talking about at the the very beginning of this topic where you got to pick someone that meets the role. So someone that is good with finances isn't always the best person to make a healthcare decision for you. So that's something you got to be considering when you're setting up these documents. Yeah. Like in the case of my dad, my sister is a nurse. She was a healthcare. Right. I did financial. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect example. Okay. Personal representative or executor. Is that the same thing? Those terms are interchangeable, and they are the person in charge of the estate of someone. And so that's a person nominated under a last will and testament. So if you have a will-based estate plan or even no estate plan, you would be subject to potentially probate. Probate's required if a person passes away with $50,000 or more in their individual name at the time of their death. And the personal representative is the person in charge of the estate of that person, which means gathering up assets, paying off debts and expenses, and then making sure everything is distributed in accordance with someone's will, or if no will, in accordance with applicable state law. Is that compensated? It can be. How about the trustee? Now, this is when we're getting a little bit more complex in estate planning, isn't it? Right. So not everyone has a trust-based estate plan, but for those that do, the trustee is very similar to the personal representative, except instead of being responsible for an estate, they are responsible for administering a trust. They are a fiduciary, just like a personal representative, very similar roles, you know, gathering up assets, paying off any outstanding debts and expenses, and then making sure that trust assets are distributed both in accordance with the terms of the trust and then to the best extent possible in accordance with the wishes of the person that set up that trust document. We're with Alec Durand, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. So we got the rules. Let's talk a little bit about the process. Does a good estate planning process need everybody in the room? Who needs to be in the room at the start? The only people that really need to be there are you and your attorney, your estate planning attorney. Anything beyond that is a personal choice. There's something to be said where 
too many chefs in the kitchen. If you have too many people, it can lead to too much complexity, too many questions going on. So there's something to be said for keeping it simple. That said, it's generally a good idea when you have your estate plan set up to at least talk to the persons that you named in fiduciary roles, let them know that you did name them and, and what that role entails. So it's not a, oh, by the way. Right, exactly. Right. You want them to know what's going on or what will happen. And you touched on it before, but because somebody's the eldest in the family, it doesn't mean that they should be the default choice for any of these roles. They could be miscast. Absolutely. And legally, you have no obligation to name a family member in any of these roles. Sometimes, because of family dynamics or other outside considerations, maybe the family members aren't the best choice to name in these roles. So that's something you got to be considering. You know, who's going to be making solid financial choices for you or, or healthcare decisions for you as applicable? Alec Durand is an estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management, works on behalf of our clients, can do the same thing for you. Start at AnnexWealth.com. Alec, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Saturday, December 9th, bottom of the hour. We're going to get caught up. And for that, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Let's do Ask Annex. You got a question for us? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. You click the Ask button if we can help with what we do, which is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. You just click that Get Started button. In the studio, Fred Coleman, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. And we've got Matt Morsey, investment team manager, also a CFP. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Question number one. We plan on aggressively funding 529s for our two young grandchildren. We'd like to be be the account owners and name their parents as successor owners. Is there a downside to that approach? Are there any issues that could arise if we're not owners? Yeah, great question. The big thing that comes into play, depending on who owns the assets, is how they're calculated into the FAFSA calculation. So anytime you're applying for a university, what's going to happen is there's going to be an expected family contribution. So they're going to look at the parents' assets, the child's assets, and previously, they would also take the grandparents' assets into consideration. Now, there has been a new rule change that states that grandparents' assets will not be taken into consideration when considering FAFSA for hmm. the expected family contribution. So from a financial standpoint, it would be better to keep it in the grandparents' name. Next up on Ask Annex, how significant is the tax advantage of ETFs over mutual funds? I've got about $20,000 of, and then he names the fund, in a taxable account. Is it worth switching to a, then he names the ETF. Is it worth switching? How should I go about making the change? Sell one, buy the other? Yeah, it really depends on what type of mutual fund you have. Yeah, there are a lot of index funds that are likely going to create no capital gain distributions or, or very low. So from a mutual fund standpoint, if you're in that basket, you're probably okay to stay. You can certainly go back and look at previous years to see how much in capital gains that they sent off each year to give an idea of, at least from a historical standpoint, what potentially could happen. If it's an actively managed mutual fund and it's an equity one, you probably are going to have capital gain distributions. And if they've been good at what they do, they're going to have gains that are going to build up underneath that surface. At some point, they're going to have to shoot that out. You know, A lot of times those become larger in years that have more volatility or potentially even down years where maybe they get redemptions and they're forced to sell things that they might not want to, and that would create distributions. But again, you can go back and see how efficient they've been in the past with that. Switching from a mutual fund to an ETF, you do have to sell in order to buy. So if you have yourself 
pent up unrealized gains that might be worse than the gain that they might shoot off so if you bought something five years ago and it's up a lot you might not want to sell that because now you're realizing all of those capital gains all at once versus what the mutual fund is going to spit off itself but yeah simply you would sell one by the other but you really want to look at how much in unrealized gains you have and then how much have they done in the past and kind of get an idea of what that looks like they also one last thing on that they do give you an estimate of what their capital gain distribution will be each year so for funds that haven't spit theirs off yet this year, you probably can go online and find out what that number is going to be. This is Ask Annex. It's a feature that uh, we open up the mailbag and don't have to be a client for this. You can just head to our website, AnnexWealth.com, and look for the Ask tab. Next up on Ask Annex, I'm always at odds whether to sell or hold my blank stock into retirement. We're not going to name it, but we can all mm-hmm. agree it's, it's a big brand name, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I know the prudent action is to trim given it's overweight in my portfolio, but if any stock I believe is long-term, it's this one. I know, and then he names three others that were big names (laughs) Mm -hmm. and are not anymore. So how long do you hang on to stuff? Yeah, a couple of those names aren't around at all anymore, and that certainly is a risk. Now, generally, that risk of having one of the largest companies in the world become nothing at some point is is very, very low. But historically, the companies that have led market returns over different decades do not repeat that in future decades. So likelihood is, you know, and again, we don't know, but you know, you might not get the same dominance you've had in the past. So when you look at that, it really comes down to one, is it in a non-qualified account or a qualified account? If you've got to pay taxes on it, you got to go through tax planning and see what's prudent for you. You have to look at what your risk level is and what your comfortable is. If that's a, depending on how big of the portfolio that is, you have to be aware of what the downside of that individual security is and how much additional risk you're adding into your portfolio. A lot of times we look at risk of how much do I have in equities versus how much I fix, have in fixed income, but it's also really important to know out of that equity basket, if it's all one stock or if it's 50% one stock, that's far more risk than just what your general asset allocation is. So you have to know what you're comfortable with is with that. One way to look at it, and if the size is large enough, options are something that you can use. It's hard to get into details of what those strategies are in a segment like this, but it's something that we sit down with clients all the time and review ways to protect themselves and help get them out of those positions over time. But a lot of times you're really looking more at risk management than anything else. And the way that I look at it is from a planning standpoint, you have your needs bucket, you have your wants bucket, you have your wishes bucket. You know, when it comes to needs and wants, those aren't really a place to speculate. If you have funds that really won't affect how much you need to retire or to be able to do all the things you want to do and you want to speculate with one stock, then I really don't mind that at all. Fred Coleman, CFP and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks. Thank you. Matt Morrissey, CFP and an Investment Team Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. We work with many self-employed clients. From a tax standpoint, what do you need to keep in mind if you're the boss of you? Quick break and we'll be back with that. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. If you are a self-employed professional, there are advanced tax strategies you might be interested in, and we're going to discuss them with Tanya Sinha, CPA and Manager of Tax Planning at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Tanya. Thank you, Danny. Going to point out right at the top, there is a big difference between tax preparation and tax planning. Tax planning is what we do at Annex, and Tanya is a big part of that. Let's get going. Why is it important to establish the right entity and tax election for your business? Very good question, Danny. We work a lot with self-employed people. Selecting right entity is crucial for any tax planning. It also leads to conversations regarding income shifting and maximizing business deductions. Few commonly seen entity selections are 
S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, LLP, and simply sole proprietorship. Generally, when an individual starts getting into a business, they start with sole proprietorship if they have no employees. Once business starts to pick up, choosing the right business structure is crucial. It will significantly influence taxation, personal liability, and business management. In most cases, when you are making more than $80,000 to $90,000 a year, opting for an S-corporation will yield significant tax savings as owner can pay Social Security and Medicare taxes solely on their tax salaries rather than the entire business profits. And that's when we come in play, when a person's business has kicked in and they are making certain amount of gross profits, we analyze whether they should say as sole proprietor or whether they should switch to S-Corp. Would individuals aspire to get to S-Corp? It sounds like there's a lot of great stuff that comes along with it. Well, when we show them the numbers, when we show them how much they can save in taxes, they definitely go in for it. Self-employed people are busy, but they need to maximize retirement accounts. What's the game plan there? Is that where you, as manager of tax planning at Annex, work with wealth managers with our clients? Retirement contributions are a great savings strategy, offering a twofold benefit of securing financial stability in the future while reducing current tax liabilities. The most popular retirement plans are SEP IRAs, Simple IRAs, Solo 401ks, 401k Safe Harbor, profit sharing plan, cash balance plans. These are the most popular one, but there are other options available. By contributing to these plans, entrepreneurs can deduct their contributions from their taxable income, dramatically lowering their overall tax burden. Let's say we have John, who is 55 years old, real estate agent making 285,000 per year after expenses. And those expenses also includes his payroll salary of 125. And we are assuming he is running as an S Corp. With a 401k by itself, he could contribute 30,000 from his wages as an employee and 43,500 as an employer for the year to a total of 72,500. Hello, pretty good. Exactly, and if he adds a cash balance plan to his 401k, he can contribute another 100 to 200k to his retirement plan and can defer that income for the year. John might be in pretty good shape. Right. We're with Tanya Sinha, CPA and manager of tax planning at Annex Wealth Management, talking about tax planning for self-employed folks. This tip is really impressive. Tell me how this works. Pay your children and your spouse? As an S-Corp owner, employing family members comes with various advantages. Adding your spouse to the payroll can increase fringe benefits with contributions to Social Security, boosting retirement benefits. Setting up a 401k plan for your spouse can further enhance the family's retirement fund. Additionally, employing your children can decrease family taxes, decrease deductible business expenses, and help initiation of a retirement plan for them. Let's say you pay your kid $20,000 for a year. You can deduct full $20,000 as your business expense. And since standard deduction for the year is $13,850, your kid now has to pay taxes on little over $6,000. So you have tax savings of about 13K right now. I am excluding the FICA taxes for now just to simplify it. Plus now your kid can contribute to a retirement plan both to qualified and non-qualified plans. This is a huge topic. If somebody listening right now is self-employed, but they want to improve their tax situation, what is the way that they'd engage Annex Wealth Management? 
Great question, Danny. So what I would do is we are going to sit down with them. We will talk about when did you start your business? You know, what does the business looks like? I would like to see their profit and loss statement, balance sheet, uh, how much profit are they making? What is their goal with the business? You know, how long are they planning to stay in the business? Do they have employees? Are they planning to hire some employees? So with that, we will first help them establish these entity. What kind of entity? Like I said, S-Corp is gaining a lot of attraction these days because of once you take salary, there is a lot of potential for saving self-employment taxes by converting into S-Corp. We also talk about retirement plans. If we are employee, we know all 401k, everybody knows about it. You know, you can contribute to 401k, but when you are self-employed, we want to also talk about, do you want to set up a retirement plan for your employees if you have one? We also want to talk about health insurance. So those are the plans we talk about because health insurance and retirement contribution for your employees, they are deductible business expenses to you. But at the same time, they can help you attract and retain talent. Tax prep is one thing. Year-round tax planning is another. That's what we do for clients at Annex Wealth Management. Tanya Sinha, CPA and Manager of Tax Planning at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you, Danny, for having me. Quick break. We'll be back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. If you want to get tax smart, got to get the Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Strategy Review, especially if you're a brand new client. We look over our uh, tax planning for all of our clients, but it's a great place to start. We'll look at your situation, assess your plan, provide insight on strategies you might want to use. It all starts at AnnexWealth.com slash TaxSmart. Also, taxes, let's talk about it. Annex Wealth Management Year-End Tax Planning Guide is out. Free download at our website at AnnexWealth.com. You can get that today. Don't have to be a client for that. In the studio, Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist. Dave Spano is president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Yeah, thanks, Danny. You know, December is one of those months that when people are doing their tax planning, as you pointed out, one of the things they do, Brian, is they start to go, should I make some gifts to my favorite charity? And of course, you can gift all the way, you know, from a dollar all the way up to 17000 per year and not pay a gift tax. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're going to get a lot of requests right now. And that's really part of the planning process. It is. And actually, it's really nice where we sit. I get to overhear some of the uh, phone calls that come in. And uh, a lot of people are calling in doing multiple, like, qualified charitable distributions. Right. So Q- if, QCD. Yep, right. QCDs. If you have an IRA, if you need to take your RMD, the required minimum distribution, one of the things you can do is take that qualified charitable distribution that counts towards the RMD. You don't pay the income tax So on let's it. explain that, though. Yep. So the, the way that logistically that works is that you're able to basically satisfy that required minimum distribution requirement. The key thing is that the custodian, that the company that is custodying the the money with the IRA, that they need to send the check directly to the charity. They don't send it to you and then you send it to them because if they did, you would have to pay your income tax on that required minimum distribution and then get the charitable deduction. So let me just jump in. So if you have $100,000 in your IRA and you want to give 1000 to your charity, to your school, yep. you would call your advisor, your custodian and say, don't send me that RMD that I know that I have to take out for $1,000, send it to the church or to the school. Is that yes. correct? Yep. That is a much more tax efficient way to do it. Now, obviously you want to give regardless of the taxes, but if you can get the tax benefit, you may as 
well. And this is a more effective way to do that giving. And I think that's one of the things that sitting down with somebody here at the Annex team that we can help walk you through is figure out how can you achieve that goal of giving, but do it in a much more effective way. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's happening too, unfortunately, you know, with everything that's happening on the internet, you're going to get a request. I would caution those to be skeptical if you haven't worked with that charity before mm-hmm. because there are these links that are look like solicitations and they go somewhere else. They are. I've actually had to do that a few times years ago to find out whether or not certain charities were legitimate charities. And they might have very convincing looking websites, but you can contact the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, and find out, is this actually a registered 501c3? Right. So is it a Or reach out that, to them directly and make sure you're sending it to the right place. That's true. Yeah, you do have it where they're sort of impersonating a legitimate charity. So you've almost got it going both ways. And if I ever get one of those calls or text messages, which I find that so annoying now that they're sending it via text, it used right. to just be via email where it would just go in my spam is to I'm surprised that I get them right from these presidents to directly I mean they say they're the president <laughs> running for president I'm, how did they get my number? I know that's I'm like why am I so special you know but uh, you uh, don't click on the link you make the phone call do a Google search look for them make the call contact them directly uh, my friend my boss um, I've gotten texts from you quote I know, you I know. right that's so terrible, you, anybody can be spoofed and that's what you you know and the thing is my dad would have fallen for this, right? right? If they would have just, he would have picked up the phone. And but I know you. you're never going to fall for it because, you know, it takes you forever to return my text. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Come on, Danny. Still smarting over that sweater comment. <laughs> but, you know, just be careful, folks. Be, be cheerful in your giving, but be smart. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, especially look out for others, you know, share this information with the people you're gathering around the table with, especially if it's an elderly parent. They're the ones that are targeted by these scammers. Hey, final minute. What do we got next week? Because it's a big one. Yeah, next week, it's really exciting. We're going to have the Federal Open Market Committee. That policy announcement comes out at one o'clock on Wednesday. So make sure that you're sitting in front of the television with the popcorn popped to watch that. But on Tuesday, we get the Consumer Price Index number. So that's for inflation. Then on Thursday, we're getting retail sales, followed by Friday with manufacturing and industrial production. So it's a really big week with economic data. Sure. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management, thank you very much. Thank you. You are going to be on this week's SWAT podcast. That is correct. That's right. That'll be on Monday. Dave Spano, our President and CEO, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Danny. Folks, what we'd love to do for you is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. Really, it's fiduciary advice. It's comprehensive strategies. It's empowering education. And folks, we're going to meet you right where you're at. It might be Annex Ignite. It might be Annex Comprehensive Wealth. It might be Annex Private Client. It doesn't matter. Let's just get that conversation going. We are three weeks to the end of the year. Let's get ready together. AnnexWealth.com is the place. Ready, ready, ready? We are. Let's start that conversation. AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back here next Saturday at 10 o'clock. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.